wait for us. I'd like to introduce you to Dr. Philip Howard. This is uh, the man who, uh, oh man, can I get through this? Taught me how to pray, uh, taught me how to be a man, how to be a husband, how to be a pastor. Taught me more about the inner man than any other human being on this earth. Uh, taught me about Christ, you know, taught me how to be a family man, taught me, uh, this is the man when I say things like, I get on my knees to pray because I know somebody who's had two hip replacements and, and he gets on his knees to pray and you learn how to get on your knees to pray when you pray with somebody like that. That's him. Um, I feel like I get to show off my pastor to my church and get to show off my church to my pastor. When you ask the question, who's your pastor? This is, yeah. Who? Who? Who pastors the pastor? This is a man who pastors pastors. And so I will warn you, he, uh, he's used to amens flying when he preaches. And so I know Jeff Lane told me already he'll give, he'll give one amen at least to make him feel comfortable. And, uh, but please uh, give a warm uh, Cam CC welcome to Dr. Philip Howard. What a privilege to be with you. My wife's here, but she can't talk. Have you folks heard of the flu in Southern California? Yeah. I mean, uh, I've been living with symptoms of it since uh, December, and then she just came down. We haven't kissed for two months, so <laughs> I, I can't blame it on that. Uh, at our stage, you just say, the thrill is gone. Not really, uh, but... Uh, uh, I'm glad to be here. I've, I've been at Valley for years. I had a pastor tell me, never resign if you were tired or discouraged. So I've been one or the other for 46 years, <laughs> and I've never been able to retire. Uh, but David came to Valley Bible when he was around 14 years of age, being raised by a mother who the dad left the home. And David came, and uh, God saved him. Uh, our youth pastor at the time was a guy by the name of Ted Montoya, uh, who really had a great impact in David's younger years, like a dad to him, and uh, eventually grew up. Every uh, senior lady in the church uh, loved him, embraced him, and spoiled him. Uh, because they just love David. And uh, wow, to see the journey. Uh, it's one thing to begin the race, it's another to finish it. And to see him 20 years later, uh, pastoring, pursuing education. And uh, we, at first we were very suspicious of Meredith, uh, <laughs> you know, because uh, uh, when he brought her in, you know, to the fold from Southern Cal, we just saw Philistine markings. <laughs> and, uh, we were, but we, we come to find out he, he married a treasure chest. He married just the right gal for him. Meredith, we've come to appreciate you more and more every year. So, uh, <laughs> since I'm on a clock, I cannot hardly make any more comments because now they detect from my honorarium every minute I go over. So turn, if you will, to 2 Corinthians. And uh, I want to give you reasons for our ministry. 
Uh, when you read 2 Corinthians, uh, it's one of the most heartbreaking epistles. I don't recommend you read it too much uh, unless you can take it because uh, it's not an American epistle. It talks about suffering, suffering. I mean, this man in chapter one, he despairs of life. Yeah, you think he's going to commit suicide, but he's not saying that. Uh, I'm just, in Asia, I despaired of living. I, I, I thought it was all over. And then you follow him, chapter 4, knocked down, but knocked out, pushed over. I mean, on and on. And say, come on, Paul. When's it going to get better? You keep following him, chapter 6. I mean, the pain. Uh, they tell him he's an ugly little Jew. They tell him that uh, his speech is contemptible. I mean, how would you like this for a people you led to Christ, a people you didn't even take an offering from because you knew they were questioning your motives? So you were a bivocational apostle. You, you did tents, you made leather goods, but you would not take an offering so that they would not think you're in it for the money. He goes on in chapter 11, I've been shipwrecked, I've been stoned, I've been beaten. Say, Paul, why don't you resign? Get out of it. It's not worth it. Here you're an intellectual. You probably speak five languages. You were trained in one of the masters in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. You don't have to put up with this. What keeps you going? And he said, let me give you four reasons why I've kept with it. And I think it ought to be four things that anchor us to stay in ministry. Chapter 5, let's begin at verse 11. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. He just mentioned the judgment seat of Christ. And he said, we're going to stand before him. He's going to evaluate our work. He's going to burn it up. Or not. So he said, in light of that, we fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. He goes down. Let me pick up verse 14. For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation they have become. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. 
We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here Paul said, first of all, I labor at what I do because I fear God. I fear God. Now, uh, when you say that, people have no concept of what he means. Let me quote to you from Walter Kaiser, an Old Testament uh, theology teacher, taught at Trinity for years. He said this about this word to fear God. It comes all the way from Deuteronomy. You remember in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What does this mean? Shaking like that? Or, or what's the concept? It's a concept that was more than just, it was a synonym. It was a catch-all. And here's the synonym. It meant someone who had heard God, learned from God, and were responding to God properly. It was used of keeping his commands. This is right out of Deuteronomy. Uh, walking after him, serving him, loving him, cleaving to him. Thus to fear him was to love him, cleave to him, and to serve him. It was not just the quakes. It was not just that. But it was the right response to the living God. You remember what Jesus said when we pray every day? We ought to pray, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed, the word holy, set apart, be thy name. He could have said, is your name. But the prayer is not to pray what is. It's to pray that I'll treat that name like it deserves to be treated. And here Paul said, I fear God more than I fear men. And one of the common fears of us guys at pastors is to be afraid of the congregation, especially those who've got lots of money. At my place, that's been easy. Everybody was broke. <laughs> I grew up in a neighborhood. Nobody would dare rob us. There's nothing to rob. <laughs> my people came from the Midwest, came to California to fight in the war effort. I really mean it. We didn't lock anything. My folks had dynamite boxes for furniture, seven of us. 800 square feet, $30 a month rent. They were fighting in World War II. They, this was the most prosperity they'd ever seen. We never knew we grew up in the hood until we started watching TV. We never knew. We always called it home. We didn't know we grew up in tough neighborhoods. We just said we grew up in home. But what we have is God and this respect for God. And here Paul is saying, the fear of God keeps me going. Chuck Swindoll was called on the carpet one time when he was in Irving, Texas, because he spontaneously took an offering uh, for a missionary that was with them. Well, in Bible churches in the Dallas area, they don't pass plates. There's something sacrosanct, whether how you collect it. 
And so they didn't pass plate. But he just spontaneously, men, find some plates. Uh, we want to take an offering. Well, they, they did. Next board meeting, he was chewed out properly. And they were all upset with him. And, and he knew he did it as unto the Lord. He just wanted to bless this missionary. But he said he went away, fasted for two or three days, and he wrestled. Uh, and Galatians 1.10 came to me. If I should seek to please men, I would seek to be the servant of God. And here Paul is saying, I'm being accused as a false apostle. I'm being accused of being a crook. I'm being accused by a minority false teachers that have come into this work, probably from Jerusalem, Judaizers, coming in, undoing the work, campaigning against me. But he said, I stay with it. I stay with it because I fear God more than I fear anyone else. It's really his well done that we should all be laboring for. He goes on. In verse 14, he said, the love of Christ constrains me that if he would die for all, surely I would share the message with all. If his death was universal in the range of who he wanted to save, surely I'm constrained by the same love that produced Calvary the same love that produced the cross, the same love that caused the father to abandon his one and only beloved son, surely, surely that love constrains me to share and go as far as I can. Someone said if you track Paul on a map of Asia Minor, it will be like tracking a bleeding rabbit through the snow. Take him to Derby. He's beat up, stoned, Lystria. And then he goes back to the very cities that stoned him. What keeps you going? The love of Christ constrains me. You have to ask yourself, I was telling David, I just heard a, a man recently refer, he said, we're laboring in the glacier age in the church and in the world. It's a cold, cold day. When you want to kill 17 kids just to kill, and you're not even having a personal odd, I just want to see them die. When you live in a day where uh, girls are being sold on the streets where I live, just about 50 miles, you know, 14 years of age, they're being sold or they're being kidnapped. Sacramento, they say, has one of the biggest sex trades going. Uh, we just had a woman come to speak at our church that all girls over 12 years of age are missing in Nepal for they've been captured, kidnapped, taken to the brothels of India. How can you do this to fellow human beings? Because we're a cold, cold, cold culture. Can we find anything in the church any different? Beware lest you lose your first love. Beware. In the last days, the men, because of men's hearts, shall grow cold. They shall abandon God. They shall abandon the faith. They shall abandon. 
It's amazing how much church shopping goes on in America and nobody willing to die for anything. What constrains you? Are you putting in time for God? Checking the box, I went to church. Oh, forget it. You think God's impressed with that? They had some news people. They went to a mission field. They happened to go to a place. They were running a leprosium. And when they were interviewing the missionaries, this uh, news reporter said to the missionary, I wouldn't do what you do for a million bucks. Happened to be a woman. She said, nor would I. But I would do it for Jesus. What are you presently doing in your life that you do it for no other reason but Jesus? I just do it for Jesus. Jesus. I don't do it for pay. I don't do it for praise. I do it because I love Jesus. The love of God constrains me. It's easy sometimes in church work, especially as guys that preach, you can stay half mad all the time over something. This didn't go right. That didn't go right. Uh, you know, there's some people, they think they're doing you a favor to tell the pastor, I feel there's problems in the church. I said, well, thank you. There's problems in a hospital. That's why we run it. Are you a country club or a hospital? My brother belonged to the Napa Country Club. It's beautiful. But you know, if I'd ever gone in there and found a bedpan in the lobby, I would have canceled. <laughs> but when I went to the hospital where my dad was dying, bedpans, strong medicines, terrible odors didn't bother me. Just get my dad well. And he didn't get well. He died. And sometimes the church, we want it to be a country club to impress everybody. But you know what? Where do the wounded, the diseased, and the broken go? Would they feel like coming here? Is there enough love to get them well? Dwight Dell Moody was quite an evangelist. And uh, he went to England. And while he was in England with Ira Sankey singing his famous, the 90 and 9. While he was preaching there, he met this uh, bony, uh, uh, shaven, clean-shaven guy named Henry Morehouse. Well, Moody was a bearded, barrel-chested, uh, you know, looked like a wrestler kind of a guy. And Spurgeon was built the same way. So they, masculinity was measured by being barrel-chested, having a beard, and here comes this Englishman, clean-shaven, thin, skinny. And he says to Moody, Mr. Moody, someday I would like to preach for you. And Moody just kind of shuffling and said, oh, sure, sure, look me up sometime. Several months later, he gets a telegram from Morehouse. I've landed in New York. I'm on my way to Chicago. I look forward to speaking for you. Moody said, oh, no. Got his deacons. He said, man, have him do the Wednesday night Bible study. I'm going out of town. And he went to a Sunday school convention. Held that. 
Morehouse came. Moody was embarrassed that he would even follow up. Well, he, uh, he spoke on Wednesday night. The deacon said, would you speak tomorrow night? He did. Would you speak Friday night? He did. Moody got back to Chicago on Saturday. He talked to his wife. Uh, how did the Englishman do? Boney Maroney, you know. How did he do? She said, uh, marvelous. You'll find out in the morning. He said, I'll find out in the morning. What do you mean? She said, the deacons have booked him to preach in the morning. <laughs> and tomorrow night. And all of a sudden, Moody said, well, what does, how does he preach it? I don't preach. said, oh, Dwight, he's totally different than you. And he said, what do you mean? He said, you know, Dwight, I think you use the Bible for ammunition to hurl at sinners. You're used to hurling bullets at them. This man breaks their heart every night telling them how much God loves them. He said he's preached every night on John 3.16. Sure enough, on Sunday, open your Bible, let me read John 3.16. That night, John 3.16, the love of God bled through Henry Morehouse. Moody said, my life was totally changed. I became constrained from then on not to see him condemned. For Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn you. I found you condemned. It's a perfect tense. You were already condemned. I came to tell you God loves his enemies. Verse 17, he said, another reason I preach and I keep going is only the message I am bearing changes men's lives. You have become new creations in Christ Jesus. You have become new creations. And what do you mean by that? He said, when I came to town, you were effeminate, homosexual, heterosexual, adulterers, fornicators, thieves, and even listed. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. You were all of this, but I preached, and God washed you. God sanctified you. God justified you. Going out with Dave and Meredith last night on the way home, uh, one of our elders called. Oh, my, what a pedigree he has. A gangbanger in San Francisco, ran with Samoans. He's an Indian man. He's a teamster. He wound up with one of our black physical therapists working on him. And Albert Wilson kept telling him, you ought to come to my church. You ought to come to my church. Well, this guy, womanizer, gangbanger, druggie, jail. Father took his life early. I mean, he's a wreck. You do not even want him in your church. But I'm telling you, one Easter morning, God saved Edwin, brought him. And you know what? I'd rather have just one Edwin if all my life was to count for anything. If I could just say die and say, I saw the gospel change. One man, 180 degrees, turned him inside out. Or if you tell me one 
boy being raised by a Colombian mother came to the Lord Jesus Christ at 14 and he's your pastor. It'd be worth the... What else? You can preach politics all you want. You can preach right-wing politics, left politics, Democrats, Republicans. Are there any Republicans down here? <laughs> you know where I live, they're an endangered species. If you, I mean, we're 10 miles from Berkeley. Don't even say Republican. If you say Trump, there's a wanted arrest for you. I mean, uh, and you know, you're the whitest congregation I've seen in years. I didn't know folks get, I didn't know you'd get this white. I mean, man, you need to lighten up. Where's some black folks and some Hispanics around here? I mean, our church is a church of many nations. My own family, I've got uh, biracial grandchildren. I mean, I'm so glad my folks are in heaven. <laughs> Be regular shock. Uh, you know, but he's saying, what well, I preach changes men's lives. Drunkards get sober. Uh, people that are working as prostitutes in the temple of Aphrodite, they give up their trade. See, have you been born again? Are you just churchy? Are you just cultural? David and I both went to school in Dallas. You cannot believe how many people go to church that don't know God. They don't know God. They just want connections. They're insurance salesmen, bankers. You gotta have good standing. Yeah, I go, I belong to First Baptist. Do you belong to Jesus? Well, that's another story. But here he says, I'm constrained to tell you this, for when I came to Corinth, you were not being run over by all these Judaizers. You were pagan worshipers. Sex was like taking a drink of water. There were no mores. You didn't believe in them. There was no family life. There was not. It was idolatry, idolatry. Idolatry, sex, rambunctiousness, Greek intellectualism. But I came with the gospel and it changed you into a new creation. Let me tell you some of the things that happened to them. Uh, he goes on to say uh, that you used to be an Adam. You're no longer there. You used to be an object of divine wrath that's been canceled. Uh, you're no longer a slave of sin. You're no longer a candidate for hell. You're now seen in Christ. You're justified. Oh, I wish we could get excited about being saved. I was going to, I, man, when I went to church as a boy, I was saved at 14. But uh, I grew up in a war town. The Russians are coming. Uh, the West Coast is going to be bombed in the 50s, you know. Everything was war, 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 uh, fallout shelters, all this stuff. But that night, once I received Christ, I went home and I said, let the Russians push all the buttons they want to push. I'm going to, I know where I'm going to land. I know I've been changed and I was returning the goods I'd stole for at least four to five years. I was in Bible college and still returning ball gloves I stole. 
They said, man, we cannot use this. I said, well, I was praying and the Lord said, I stole it from you, so here it is. Well, who changes you like that? The gospel turns uh, whiskey money into milk money for your children. It just changes, see. And Paul said, this is the kind of gospel I preach. He finally said, I have many wonderful points, but I'm, on, I'm under the clock. I just can't be free. Uh, <laughs> he goes on to say, finally, he said that uh, I'm an ambassador of uh, reconciliation. Reconciliate. It means to change thoroughly, to change from one state to another. And he said, here, I'm bringing the good news to men that God doesn't want to charge their sins to them, but he's charged them to his son, and God wants to end the beef between man and himself. God didn't start the beef. God didn't start the battle, but he gives his son to say, I'm serious about turning you from an enemy into a family member, but it will cost me my son. And he says that. He said, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Is that amazing? You could sin against me, sin against me, but I won't charge you. Wow. And he has committed to us the message of depression. Do you look at your Bible? You're supposed to scream at that point. Wake up. You there on that third row. Wake up. Come on. We, we're ambassadors. We're declaring the terms of peace as though God were making his appeal through us. Be, I beg of you, be reconciled to God. God made his son to be sin for us who knew no sin. You know what? You know why we... Christians are not, we always beg Christians to be witnesses. Oh, do evangelism. You know why we don't? We don't think we've got any good news. We watch Fox every night to keep up on depression. <laughs> we're all on Valium, and we all watch Fox, and, and you know, we're, we're political. We're political, political. I said, wait, wait, do you have any good news to share? Have you seen these movies, especially the war movies, World War II, whatever, and you'll see uh, the mailman and, and the telegram would go, on behalf of a grateful nation, or if you do the funerals like us guys and they're handing the flag to the widow, on behalf of a grateful nation, here, ma'am, mother, wife, uh, here's the flag, your, your boy, your husband, your brother, was a great soldier, thank you. Here's the telegram, and you'd see some of those movies that, oh no, all the wives were scared to death every day of the wrong telegram. Your boy was just shot and killed at Iwo Jima. My own wife's father was there. So what would you do? Just think if you had that assignment as a mailman every day. Versus, 
I want to tell you, your boy's coming home. He survived. He'll be here within a week. And we wanted to tell you the good news. Now, what, what kind of news do we have to give the world? It's hard to give away what's depressing you. You ought to join our church. Why? Well, it's done so much for me. Man, has it, did it produce that? Yeah. Come on over and join us. We're all kind of depressed. You love the fellowship. Lots of donuts. I mean, it's hard to give away what you're not enthused about. And you know why you're not enthused? You may not have the real goods. It doesn't matter what kind of label you put on an empty can. What's the content? What's the content? What's the content? We've got good news. And Paul said, I know that I've got that good news. That's why I'm sharing it. Uh, I would say I started preaching as the earth's crust was hardening in 1959. And I still meet junior high and high school kids that I went to school with. Are you still speaking? Yeah. Uh, it must have been a great route. Well, there's been pain, loss, shaping, uh, trials, whatever. But you know what? I found out I would have had the trials had I never become a pastor. Just raising kids is trial enough. <laughs> now I've got 13 grandchildren. Uh, I'll give you offering envelopes after a while to help me with my grandchildren. <laughs> We're suffering from maltuition. Uh, you know, uh, let me know. Uh, but uh, I am glad that God put in David's heart, he wants to preach. I've seen him. We, want, we wanted to make him an executive pastor, even with us. He said, no, I must keep going on school. I'm going to try this. This is the first time he's finally got to try being a lead pastor. And now I pray, David, that you'll have a great tenure here, that you'll fear the Lord, that the love of God will be your constraint, and believe, believe the gospel that changed you can change them. And don't ever let the budget cranky people, mad people, whatever people, keep you from knowing I'm an ambassador with the only message that says the worst of sinners can be reconciled. That's what I came to Camarillo with. I didn't come to be the slickest thing on the block. I came to preach this kind of gospel. That's worth dying for. That's worth living for. Father, we thank you for this congregation sustain them, keep them. May they have an impact for Christ as they've had for many years in this community. Would you please sustain the lampstand, 
so that Christ is put on display. It's in his name we pray. Amen.